Namaste and wish you a very happy, harmonious, beautiful, progressive, year full of peace and harmony and most important progress. Because the mother says there are two aspects of grace. One that brings peace and everybody wants that. And the other that brings progress and that's what people don't want because people get stuck into comfort zones. So both we must aspire for peace and progress. Peace without progress is, uh, can often make us stuck, leave us stuck in certain fixed territories. And uh, progress without peace can be a very turbulent thing. So peace and progress. And with that I begin this talk about Swaraj and Suraj. So literally Swaraj means self-governance. Swa is self and Raj, governance. And Suraj is good governance. Su, the word comes as, you know, good and Raj is governance. So it basically touches upon two aspects of human existence. One is what is self-governance and second is, that is the individual aspect and the second is the collective dimension. How do we govern not only ourselves but all that is around us? So, uh, this, this was a term which Shurabindu used during the freedom struggle. Much later, some of the things that he had used were picked up by those who came much later, maybe even a decade later. But basically, there were four things that Shurabindu used, four terms or five things that he used during the freedom struggle, India's independence movement. And one of them was Swaraj self-governance, the second was Swadeshi, the third was passive resistance, fourth was boycott and the fifth was national education and each of these terms were, uh, had a very deep and profound significance and we may or may not be able to touch upon all the terms but we'll focus mainly on Swaraj, what did Swaraj mean? Now uh, ordinarily we would think what is there to deliberate about it, you know a country has a right, its people have a right to govern themselves. What's the big deal about it? And if, like in modern times, we often look at it like that, that well, if, if a group of human beings decide that they must separate, vote in its favor, and that should be the end of the story. It's almost like a self-determination by a group of people. Now, it's here that Shurabindo brings a very different uh, yogic, spiritual dimension to a nation. So, take an example of an individual when he engages in yoga. So what does freedom consist of? Ordinarily we think freedom consists that I do what I feel like. Well, if I feel like separating, I separate. If I feel like joining with somebody, I join. And that's the end of the story. But in the deeper spiritual sense, freedom means freedom from ignorance. That means I must first discover my true self. If I don't discover my true self, in that case, whatever freedom I may enjoy will always be temporary, always subject to all kinds of uh, invasions. A at an individual level, it would mean invasion by all kinds of forces. And uh, at a third level, it would mean that I may completely mislead, I be misled along my way, lose track, etc., etc. So for Swaraj, in fact, Shurabindo has used the word Poona Swaraj, which later on became uh, a, a very famous um, slogan, not just a slogan but a mantra. So Shubindu used the word Swaraj in its triple sense. So he said there must be the spiritual freedom, there must be social freedom and there must be political freedom and the three must go together. So spiritual freedom is first and foremost because then we discover what is the true self which should govern. And he gives a beautiful example of you know the Indian uh, subcontinent. He says Swaraj can be understood in one way, which is how the then Congress people had understood it, that self-governance, means that meaning thereby we are a colony and we govern ourselves. So there is uh, basically the British government, which is like the overarching umbrella, but otherwise this is self-governance. Sri Aurobindo discarded this idea. He said no, because that kind of Swaraj doesn't make sense, because you continue to be a vassal state. So he spoke about Poona Swaraj, not just self-governance, but self-governance by the people in the way they wanted to, be, to govern it, which is a little difference. But here we see that what really happened down the course of history. So we became free and yet we are governing by the methods 
which at one point of time the British had applied. One of them is being the Western system of democracy and, you know, uh, everybody goes, votes. So all this Shurabindar had discarded back then. Uh, but what he gave was something much, much higher. So, but first thing important is that people must gain uh, spiritual freedom if they want to really build a nation. But a spiritual freedom is not possible in a nation of subservient people. This was the logic. It's so interesting. He was using uh, the freedom movement like a national yagna. So if you look at it, Shurabindu, before the freedom movement, it says individual yoga. The individual yoga becomes a national yoga. And the national yoga becomes a yoga of the world when he moves away from Pondicherry after doing what is required to be done. So we focus mainly on the national yoga. Like any yoga, the first step is to discover your soul. You can't be engaging in yoga with the ego self. The two don't go together. So the first uh, requirement of any nation is the people of the nation, they must discover the national soul. If you don't discover the national soul, it's meaningless to talk about Swaraj. It will be, well, like the freedom of any, anyone who has the right to do whatever he feels like within the framework of law. And here Sri reminded us what really national soul is, what India is. And we see through several articles, essays, his talks, he was reminding us who we really are. So, and it applies to every nation that if we want truly Swaraj, then it's not enough just to be independent in the way we understand it, but the nation must discover its own soul. So this idea he later on develops and we had several discussions on this topic, which is very fascinating. For each nation, the uh, the soul must be discovered. So this is Swaraj. But then, when it discovers its soul, how will it manage its affairs? So that's why Swadeshi. Swadeshi literally means, I discover my methods of governing the people. So this is again very different from the way we understand that. And, and that is one of the problems. Now we see, within India, there are two uh, parts that came out of India. One is India, what we call today is India, and the other is what we call as Pakistan. So why he was insisting on Swadeshi, he said that if people don't know how to govern themselves, and if they are governing themselves with the help of foreign aid, such a nation is bound to go down the spiral of degradation. Now it is so fascinating when we see today, I mean, of course we talk about India didn't heed the word of Sri it's true to an extent, though now we see a reawakening. I wish Pakistan had heeded the word of Shirobindo. Because he very clearly says that if a nation remains dependent on doles, even though it is basically free. Now Pakistan is a free nation. But is it really free? No, it is subject. It, it was for a long time subject to the American influence and the money. And now it is subject largely to the Chinese influence and money. Now he tells us that, well, if we remain subject, we cannot really be free. We cannot arrive at true freedom. And he gives an example. And I have found this so fascinating, say, in an individual life. If I want to pursue yoga, I must first individualize myself. If I remain subject to all kinds of people on whom I am intellectually dependent, emotionally dependent, then where will in me be the strength to discover my own soul and stand by it? So the first necessity before we discover an individual soul or a national soul is to learn not to depend, but rather discover my own way, my own method. So this is where he speaks about Swadeshi. But Swadeshi cannot work unless there is simultaneously a rejection of all that is like a foreign influence. So there came boycott. So And he went to the extent of saying that if we are Indians, we must rebuild ourselves the way Indian way of life works. And he speaks of it that dress in our culture, in the way of our life, because otherwise we'll always, we'll never be able to either discover or express our soul. And here he gives the example of Japan, how Japan is an independent nation, very strong nation, but it went the western way because it didn't realize that its soul has its own strength and it must rebuild this world according to the, its own soul strength. So India also, unfortunately, now uh, we see all over the world this turn uh, towards, you know, this movement of discovering the nation's soul is a very interesting and important movement. So, but in India we see that while we got independence, it is a debatable thing whether we really got Swadeshi and Swaraj or not. 
because we are still so much under the influence of all that gets imported from the other part of the world now again shubhendra is not saying it's not valid it's valid in a certain part of the world they have to grow like that for example to just give two basic different paradigms if we go to the western side of the world we see that um, the the way of life largely focuses on let's say governance good governance is about the people so man is at the center so the ideal of good governance is that human beings they should be in reasonable comfort they should have you know enough liberty and wealth to pursue their own life the way they want there should be a basically umbrella of uh, rule and law which uh, maybe through machinery maybe through legislation which keeps things in a certain kind of order now this is the paradigm in which man is at the center and to give to human being a good life is the principle of suraj good governance it's like if you give your people a good life uh, if you give them wealth if you give them uh, whatever the needs are good education good uh, health then it's called a suraj but it completely misses the point because we may give all of this and yet we may not give the people this ability this capacity to discover their own freedom and that's why political freedom was important because so that people can discover their own pathways let's take ex- the example of the indian context now when we speak about western context is people centered man centered in the indian context the good governance was always centered around the divine it's something very strange people often ask that what is the difference between the uh, you know western concept of individuality and indian concept of individuality rather i was surprised when some people said but in india we didn't have individuality i said no we had individuality but of a different kind in the west the individuality is centered around the ego i have the right to do what i feel like as long as i don't violate the law now what happens with that because it's an ego individuality which is in ignorance i find ways and means to bypass the law i find loopholes in the law because ultimately it is my ego individuality driven by desire and so we see the result is you know i i was sharing this that how we have big companies and big brands where actual input the actual cost is much less but this because you you know how law operates so we 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 have discovered all the ways and means to look good but basically it's still an expansion of the ego and desire so what about india in the indian context individuality again fiercely individualistic if we see some of the ancient indian characters like feminine characters shakuntala sita draupadi forget about the male characters which plenty we'll find fiercely individualistic but centered around dharma so basically in india individuality meant the action and good governance means that the law of dharma dharma should prevail mother gave a very interesting uh, remark about india that uh, india is the only country where the psychic law can and must prevail and then she says and the time has come to do it so what is that psychic law psychic law is very different from mental rules and one primary difference is while mental rules and regulations focus so much on the external action psychic law dharma looks at the inner motives so a man may do a lot of uh, you know religious activities charity for example you know often the other day somebody was telling me so much charity is done by so many people i said yes but for different reasons people are really people engaging in charity as a service to the divine is very few many do it because of the aggrandization of the ego many do it to assuage the conscience of a robber that i steal and then i do some charity so dharma will not look at all these things flatten them and look at them as one dharma is going to look into the heart of things the real motive and based on that motive it governs the life so when life is governed on the basis of inner motive and what should be the motive in a land of dharma suraj it should be a motive which leads to the collective march of mankind towards a great divine consummation that is the ideal of the gita which is known as lok sangraharth so when you look at the indian context indian context is not about rule by the people of the people for the people in ignorance it is rule of the people by the people for the people but for the greatest good of the soul of the nation now the moment we bring that dimension it means every human being or or a person who is a 
you know, a national citizen, he must discover and become one with the soul of the nation. How to do it? So Sri brought in this fourth element, which was national education. The only way we can do it is through a national education. So he was for discarding completely the education which came from the British, not only because, you know, we, we hear about Macaulay and all that, but he doesn't speak about that. He says because that education is suited for a certain kind of temperament. And actually, if I see, I mean, I have been brought up in a typical convent school and with all uh, due regard to the uh, both smiling and serious sisters and the sacrifices. But I used to be wonder that, you know, when moral science was taught, this is not how I understood what is true and what is false and what is right and what is wrong. I learned it very naturally by reading the Ramayana and the Mahabharata. But when I read a moral science book with black and white, it didn't gel with my understanding. But I can understand that reason looks at things only like that. Reason cannot understand unless you put things as black and white. So did the person commit a crime or he didn't commit a crime? But on what basis? Based on a certain action. So dharma is a very fascinating field and that's of course a subject in its own right. But when we read some of these national scriptures, for instance, Shobhita speaks about Gita as a national scripture. So if we read the Gita, then the issue of what should be done and should not be done in a given circumstance, we have to keep in the background those wonderful divine qualities that we must always embody and then we must engage into action. So it is something very fascinating and very beautiful. So uh, in India, the land of dharma, it should be dharma which should engage in, which should be the basis of Suraj. Suraj just cannot be uh, rule of the people, by the people, for the people. In ignorance, because then what happens? People, um, I don't know what happens in other parts of the globe, but more or less something very similar happens from what I have learnt, what I have heard, is that people enact certain laws, pass certain bills, at least do lip service to gain votes. So they try to please certain groups and we all know that that's not a system which is going to work in the new world order. It's going to collapse and crash because it's based on hypocrisy and falsehood. People proclaim one thing, they profess one thing, they practice something else. But that's not dharma. Though to a rational mind it may look okay because you know people are provided with wealth. And there are n number of examples. So for example, again I take this example of Suraj. Now we had the kingdom of Ravana. In Ravana's kingdom, everybody had lots of money. There was no dearth of money. And apparently people must have lived happily. It was the only kingdom which had the flying machine. I mean, that time, uh, Rama didn't have a flying machine. But uh, Lanka had a flying machine. And the wealth of Kuber was with Lanka, the, the elder brother. And yet, Lanka is destroyed. We see something very similar in the Trojan War with regard to Troy. Whereas, the, the word Suraj, the right kind of governance, is not spoken of with regard to Lanka, but with regard to Rama. And it's very interesting that in Rama's kingdom, it is described that what was characteristic about it? It's very nice. Uh, half a doha by Tulsi Dasji in Ramcharit Manas. I am sure Vivek Sina would have would be remembering it uh, by heart. But let me try to uh, remember it. And it says, "Daihik, daivik, bhautik tapa, Ram Raj kahune vyapa." So all these maladies of different kind. Now, when we identify the self with the body. We develop a civilizational structure and a, a political administration only to cater to the bodily and the vital needs. So what happens when we govern like that? We deprive the deeper psychic and spiritual elements. So then what happens? There is drugs, there is uh, you know, uh, pornography, there are all kinds of things because there is no stress on these things. The stress is that because I identify with the bodily and vital life, therefore that must be looked after. But when I identify myself with my spiritual self and the psychic self, then the principle of governance would mean that the psychic and spiritual life is cultivated and developed. The other day I was you know, having a discussion with some people and they were saying, well, we talk about India was so developed and all this. Not that I am a big fan of talking all these things. But he, because what matters is now we have to take it forward. So he said, but uh, there were no ventilators and organ transplant during that time. I said, yes. And you have to understand the context about it. 
And the context is very simple. While we have evidence of things like cloning, but we don't have so many emergency medicines in Ayurveda which will prolong life indefinitely. Why? Because Dharma taught us that well, soul is on a journey through many life cycles. So prolonging life somehow through ventilators, through all kinds of drugs, this drip, that drip, this this was never there as a concept. Once the mother's uh, divine mother's great granddaughter Poonadi told me something very interesting. She said, "I have observed something very interesting about India uh, that you are not afraid of death. To an extent, it is true." And I asked her, "You know, it, I I know it because in the army background, I know that you know why Indian soldiers can fight like this. It's because this idea of death as death as the end doesn't come." Because we know somewhere that death is the beginning of a greater life. Now you see, this is dharma. This gets inbuilt into a civilizational structure. So death is not something where you want to somehow prolong life by all kinds of things. We don't do organ transplant so much because we understand that well, life itself is an organ transplant. When you take a new life, nature does your complete organ transplant. So the lines along which a nation will develop. Will depend on what it identifies as its soul, and when Sri Aurobindo spoke about Poonam Swaraj, he meant this: that Indians, India, must discover its own soul, and to do this, it needs political freedom. Now, this is its difference. He is not saying that I want political freedom for the sake of political freedom. We have a right to self-determination, and you have to go away because this is our land. This was the bogey that the Britishers were doing at that time: that you are also invaders. You are the Aryans who invaded, and we are also invaders. So invader, invader, bye bye. This was the bogey, and Shubhendu reminded. That's why he says, "Ki no, that's not quite true. There is a certain kind of ethos, a culture which is centered around the deepest uh, understanding about um, what this land is, and this culture was widespread up the Vidyas, down the Vidyas, far east, right to the far west, west to Gandhar, and all this area." has been suffused with a kind of spiritual light and therefore political freedom is necessary because if we don't get that we cannot practice what our way of life is so meaning thereby political freedom alone is not sufficient it's important and that's why shubhendu reminds us that uh, there is a path india can take and that is of you know a um, lot of industry and again lot of military power economics the way the west has gone it says it can take that it's like a copy paste formula but and it says you need all these things but if we go that way of development then we will go toward degradation and destruction because we have achieved independence and yet it is not really swaraj it is not the national soul which is governing a nation so it's important for this kind of a double independence or a national renaissance and resurgence where is wherein each person in any nation now swaraj i'm talking about in the indian context must discover what really india's soul is and then we must try to identify with it and express it the mother gave a very simple formula when somebody asked how we can help india so she didn't say that you know you bring lot of money and all, all that is okay it's a good thing if you do that but the real thing is she says find your soul love india's soul of india with your own soul unite with it and that is the way you can help the nation then you will feel inside what is the direction everything in my life should take place and in that case the beauty of psychic law or the dharma is you don't need a written book outside as a rule book to be followed because when you do that people find ways and means to bypass it but you do it from within see that was the principle in oroville that no taxes so people found it very strange and some people do misuse even now they misuse that they don't show their profits but basically she said that those who earn much should be able to contribute more and they should themselves feel the urge from within why because this is dharma so this way we grow inwardly so there was swaraj swadeshi boycott of all that is foreign and he spoke about the dress because all this is a package so in fact shubhendu goes on to say in one of his speeches on swaraj he says well i have to speak to you on english because that's the language which has you know uh, is best with me i have been trained in that but in india when we you know um, there are many people who don't understand english if i speak in bengali many others won't understand if i speak in hindi many others won't understand so we have to find a language 
which can hold the nation together and that was the reason why mother spoke about sanskrit as the national language because sanskrit it has roots which can be picked up in tamil malayalam uh, telugu kannada of course marathi hindi all these we can pick up these uh, in bengali in odia you will find these roots so the importance of a national education and boycott and then he spoke about the passive resistance so this was also very important because we will go through all kinds of you know invasions which are now people don't talk about political invasions because only the very crude people talk about political invasion but there are still cultural invasions there are invasions which try to capture the mind there are religious invasions there are all kinds of invasions and one has to learn to resist it how does one resist it it's not necessary that we must aggressively resist we simply refuse it we refuse to accept that influence so this kind of a passive resistance so he gave a five fold formula for uh, india's freedom but actually if you look closely it was the yoga of the nation so first step was awakening the aspiration we can be free but we don't want freedom simply in terms of a political freedom now we see the difference when we the between the two just political freedom and engaging in yoga of the nation this is of course a very well known piece of history but so much less understood as i said that why pakistan is failing it's failing because it has got independence but it doesn't have freedom it continued to remain dependent it didn't practice swadeshi so at one point of time to discover freedom or to have freedom from the british there was uh, our great uh, freedom fighter subhash chandra bose and he wanted to shake hands with germany and japan and shubindu cautions that this is very dangerous because if he comes in uh, people are believing that you know these two countries will come and they'll say very good no problem we'll uh, liberate you and after that go away no it they won't go away then the nation becomes subject to another country it loses its own soul even if they give you a kind of freedom exactly what happened with pakistan had at that point of time um, grace would not have intervened i personally feel it was grace that intervened and that plan didn't work out imagine if germany and japan or japan they came in india and they gave us freedom from british and told that okay doesn't matter you have your freedom but we are the one who will run your factories we are the one who will supply you whatever you want manufactured product then india would have by now very badly crashed and then we understand what is the significance of making in, make in india project a country must be self sufficient a person who is practicing yoga if he is living on doles you know this idea of the old bhikkhu ideal though that ideal of bhikshu um, which was practiced in buddhism and jainism as an aparigraha um, meant that you go to one home ask one home for your you know whatever you need and don't take more than your need which is quite a practice and then that's all one home for your need if you get it fine if you don't get it you have to forget about it this was one kind of practice but that is not the highest ideal ideal is you should be completely self dependent independent in that sense you should be able to earn in sikhism that way there is a very nice uh, doctrine spiritual doctrine they say that your kamai your earning should be done with your 10 naks meaning thereby all the fingers of your hands you can't be just going to people and asking for money and then you know creating a spiritual empire it won't work out because always you will be subservient to those who are giving you the money in some way or the other the mind will tend to become slave in some way or the other you will give a little twist to your doctrines your teachings to accommodate a whole group which is supporting you financially and that's where we understand how beautifully the mother organized the shirobindo ashram completely an independent unit it's not like it's making a lot of money but for everything that is required there is something in the ashram where it be granary flowers fruits whatever vegetables pulses and uh, milk dairy and whatever is made printing press agarbatti it's like a self sufficient unit it's important because if you live on donations of course donations come that's a different matter 
but donations should not start governing your you know uh, way of life so we see that in some of these temples there are people who donate and i have seen in some seemingly very good temples and it's so shocking and not shocking anymore but so amusing that you know there is a name or plaque put there it's so contrary to the spiritual teaching that in spiritual teaching you have to forget yourself discover your true self but the person wants the plaque should be put there and when somebody had offered money to the mother and for golkund and wanted the her name his name to be put mother said okay put the name and put it on the floor this was her way of saying another place where somebody offered some money and the mother crossed it and said not accepted and third instance where the money was offered and with lot of suggestions and shurvindo said with his characteristic humor accept the money reject the suggestions <laughs> so so sadeshi is important because if you depend upon the other nations to support you whether you like it or not you will become in some way or the other dependent so this is what we discover that when shubindu was teaching about swaraj and sudeshi he was actually engaging in doing the yoga of the nation so the whole nation had become a yagvedi in which and then another thing very interesting he says if you want to build a nation you cannot build a nation without sacrifice so it was the yagya and he says this there are few people who will do the sacrifice like any any yagya in yagya there are some people only who will engage in sacrifice who are ready to give the offerings but everybody then enjoys the fruit so he says there have to be people who are ready to do the sacrifice uh, sacrifice is not tyag sacrifice is a entire process of purification complete freedom from ego and desire who are willing to work for the nation without the least trace of selfishness he says it is these few people who will eventually win swaraj for the nation and then he very beautifully that's this sacrifice has nothing to do with those sentimental killings throwing a bomb on uh, you know the viceroys and going to assembly and this this is not what shirbind ever advocated he said this is a cheap sentimental thing it it doesn't win swaraj it only creates reactions and very often very adverse reactions because it portrays you as a group of sentimental people who are just doing these uh, uh, like you know mosquitoes these annoying things he said no it should be something very strong and that sacrifice which he demanded or expected the indians to undertake is the sacrifice of the ego and selfishness to build a nation and that's why i was so happy when the other day one of the things of a present honorable prime minister's talk i must mention he said i didn't have the saubhagya uh, the good fortune to die for india but i have the good fortune to live for india that is the spirit of sacrifice and if we do that and to the extent that indians engage into it it all applies to every nation for that matter to that extent the nation will discover its own soul and its true freedom so there are many nations which have freedom but they are not yet having swaraj swaraj is that subtle difference between just having a political independence and having the deep spiritual freedom are without that and that is something which can only be cultivated through a kind of national education through a kind of national awakening as to what that nation stands for so in the indian context it is to discover the national soul so with this little i'll read something from what shirvindu writes the meaning of swaraj the word swaraj is a new word but an old one it is as old as literature and civilization the meaning of swaraj in our ancient literature is the spiritual condition of the soul which attains to mukti so you see there are politicians today everywhere but uh, let's say in any nation who believe all that you need is that people should elect you and therefore you can govern and you should live within the framework of the law no that's not what is meant by a politician who governs the nation must be completely identified with the soul of a nation which means that he should have recovered his own soul freed itself from the clutch of ignorance it's a tall order but then there is no other so he says swaraj is this spiritual condition of the soul which attains to mukti when the soul is independent of everything but itself when it exists in the joy of its light and greatness when it is mukt that is swaraj 
and if you really look at it all the whether it be politicians industry or any medical engineering software god knows so many sectors are there education now who is the person who can really build the nation first condition he should not be working for money he should be working because it gives a joy to serve where will that joy come only when one has found the soul without that we may have the best of systems and they are going to crash there are always plenty of ways that a virus can be introduced into the system people can be poached as we know at some point of time there was a brain drain all this because people are looking for money so often when people have this discussion and they say where why people go away from india because uh, so the answer given is well they go away because uh, india is not giving good um, now the things are different but i am saying at one point of time because it was not uh, treating its talent well in terms of giving it the recognition and money my answer is different as if those who are staying are not talented it's a very blasphemous statement no they are but they love the country and they love and they are willing to undergo that sacrifice why they are willing because they have discovered they have received some touch of the national soul that's why they want to stay here that's why they want to build this country not because they don't have better prospects outside they have plenty of prospects come i mean i remember i was myself offered a uh, how many some how many running into lakh some pounds and dollars going here and there i said no that's not i would have been born there but this is what i am here for and here i must work selflessly of course shubhendra say those who go out they must bring Uh, think of the nation and bring wealth to the nation because that's a yagna in yagya we need three kinds of things which go as auti one is we need wealth the second is we need the energy of tapasya somebody who is ready to do the tapasya and third is we need not just wealth but other kinds of dravya the material the means the intelligence all these things so these three levels one has to engage in building a nation and grant and giving it the swaraj swaraj means the nation has arrived at its splendor or what it stands for what it is meant to be and that can only come when people are willing to engage in sacrifice so some will sacrifice money some will sacrifice their talent their energies capacities and some will sacrifice all that they have and that's what we see when mother says the same thing applies in discovering the divine that some give their wealth some give their work some give their life some give their soul some give all of their selves and then she says these are the true children of god and others give nothing and she says whatever their value in the outer world for the divine purposes they are valueless ciphers this education this awakening is needed we don't understand it and that can only come when we understand that education is should not be a job centered education education should be a means to express who you are deep within in the background of the nation in which you are growing so there is a whole rehauling of national education that's why we know shobindo himself was that example uh, such a lucrative work job in baroda he left at the drop of an hat and came for a pittance to start the first national college in kolkata and then eventually even that pittance was stopped but he saw it as important he said india must the people must be taught how indians have understood india how you know i was hearing that day that there's so much hypnosis that takes place i mean we always knew earth is round that's why we use the word bhugol i was hearing this and said this is so wonderful we see in india there is an almanac this is just to give a little understanding because you know in the american context we we say when are the solar eclipse is going to come when is the uh, moon eclipse going to take place and uh, you know nasa does the study or whatever astronomical data and it based on that it says isn't it that's how it is announced but very few people know i have consulted i am sure some of us here that in india there was an almanac as old as 5000 years back it was known as panchang now people perhaps may not be knowing it had all the dates in detail what time there will be surya grahan what time there will be chandra grahan and to the accuracy to the minute till date it continues no one knows about it 
because we didn't care to popularize and it is such detail about every day sometimes in too much detail but people were interested only in the rashi column what's my future going to be <laughs> but isn't it amazing how this science had developed in another way by the discovery of the spiritual self it's a whole science because that can know things in a very different way so that's why indigenous system which now we are seeing coming up in the indian context ayurveda is suitable because um, if it works but we have to discover what true ayurveda is ayurveda is not about this disease and that treatment but if you discover it be really suited because it's something which has grown indigenously in the soil so these are the things same with national education the language the medium of instruction mother tongue it's important so all this he was reminding us and he says all dependence upon others is misery all dependence upon ourselves is bliss so make in india is important because if we depend upon others for some time it look very nice we pay the money and we get but if we keep on doing it you automatically see now this happens it has very practical implication now in an actual war situation what happens you have bought chips from a country you have bought certain infrastructure from a country now if there is an actual war you are dependent now this is not to say that there is no interdependence in the world of course there is at the same time we must know that some of the most important aspect must be indigenous because then only a nation can really prosper this is the fundamental truth to get rid of maya bondage is the ideal of our ancient religion it is the sole object of human existence human life and then he says let us apply the word swaraj to national life the national soul desires a reformed life the national self is our swaraj the history of the world teaches us that when a nation is dependent it begins to decay it begins to lose its power it loses its strength it loses its manhood and lastly it is broken to pieces and becomes weak and helpless this is what history teaches us and what reasons tell tells us and let me add and we have not yet heard or understood this the many nations and there are nations which take great pride in making other nations a vassal state it is the best way to finish a nation we see what's happening in africa now the people who have pitched their tents they are doling out help what what was happening in sri lanka almost on the verge of that what was happening in pakistan <coughs> and so we should be very careful this is not just to india but to the world shirobindo is speaking a nation does not depend upon itself but depends upon others therefore it is an unsound unhealthy and diseased condition the end of a disease is death and if the nation consents to that disease it will decay and death is certain now here is referring to education if it depends upon a another way of even politics parliamentary system it doesn't work for india because india can never accept that man is ultimately god man is god not because of what he is but what he can become so there is always this rider even now the entire management of our country is in the hands of foreigners we have become absolutely like fakirs we have become dependent upon foreign food and guidance the management of india is entirely directed by others we have to look to a foreign nation for our life and so therefore he reminds us that why boycott is necessary if we have meager means we learn to live with them this is the principle of yoga in yoga if you have less doesn't matter you live with that but you don't turn to somebody else for a kind of help you live with the idea that whatever you need will come to you from the divine and so he says national education the object of our educational movement is to establish self government in india it is an education which shall create indians not englishmen citizens of the indian nation this will prolong the life of india in education in english schools and colleges has cut us off from our ancient strength it is an education which does not fit our ancient strength the education we receive is narrow meager and incomplete so this is so important because we cannot connect there are so many the other day there was a group of students and someone asked them 
And I'm sure many people are not aware who wrote the Mahabharata. Forget about reading the Mahabharata. Who wrote the Mahabharata. It's amazing the kind of... Uh, apart from Vyas Valmiki and Kalidas, we are not aware of any great ancient Indian author. Even Kalidas would be an exception. Isn't it? So this is the kind of depravity and Shubhindu reminds us it should not be. And in the end, if you want to realize yourself, seek for yourselves. If you realize the Atman, the real self, you realize the Anatman, the not self. We don't want anything which is Anatman and that is boycott. The principle applies to a nation. We have to recover our national independence and for that we want our nation realized. We want to realize our nationalism. It is boycott which leads to national self-realization and it is the ideal of Swaraj. So we accept all that gives us that unique sense and spirit of what India is. It has such a variety and plenty. And he reminds us, if you have not the courage of sacrifice, self-sacrifice, then do not talk of Swaraj. If you don't want to sacrifice, if you want to lie in your armchairs and you think you can save your nation thereby, then you have no right to come forward. It is no use your coming in numbers. Swadeshi, boycott, Swaraj and national education are not at all immoral, illegal or unnatural. So even nowadays when nations are seeking, some certain nations want so-called freedom. But freedom from what? First get free from your own ego self. Otherwise, what kind of freedom it will be? We have seen the example of Pakistan actually. If one cannot be free from one own layered self, then just allowing, okay, by vote you decide that a country becomes free. This is the most stupidest, foolest, uh, what shall I say, the, the most foolish thought which modern mind seems to accept that just by numbers you can start getting freedom. It won't be freedom. It will be either a complete destruction, degeneration or else it will be ultimately another vassal state. So he says that this is the work of Suraj and finally very powerful. We say to the individual and especially to the young who are now arising to do India's work, the world's work, God's work. So he always connects. No nation exists in isolation. When a nation rises, the world rises. He bring, the nation brings its own unique strengths. See, when Swami Vivekananda was uh, <laughs> asked what do, uh, what should we send to India, education, things like that. No, no, we have enough brain and enough education. We need money. Very straightforward. He said, we don't need your jnana. You can keep the jnana, we'll give you. <laughs> we'll give you jnana, which is what is happening now. But we need money. You have your strength is money. Let that money come as a yakna. See, this is what it means, that each nation brings its own strength to the world and thereby it helps the world progress. So India has its own strength. So when India engages in national yagna, it helps the world, it helps the, the divine work upon earth. You cannot cherish these ideals, still less can you fulfill them if you subject your minds to European ideas or look at life from the material standpoint. He's using them as synonymous. That the development of a nation is... You see, people take out all these happiness index and all this. I don't know, whatever it means. And it's amazing. Sometimes I just wonder that, you know, people are walking on their heads or what. There are plenty of people who believe it, take it as gospel truths. And based on that, they say that, well, the comfort level, the per capita income, this is still we are talking about that. Imagine that there is a nation which has very good per capita income. Like what happened in... Uh, ancient Lanka, Ravana's Lanka, not ancient Lanka. And yet it can be so destructive to the world. So it's not that. That is important. But that's not what determines the quality of life. And so, Shubhinda reminds us, materially you are nothing. Spiritually you are everything. It is only the Indian who can believe everything, dare everything, sacrifice everything. First therefore become Indians. Now again, this nationalism will help the world because there is something uniquely Indian that India will offer. There is something uniquely French which France can offer. Something uniquely Chinese that China can offer. Something uniquely 
uh, European, you know, in Greek that you know Greece can offer something uniquely Italian that Italy can offer something uniquely British which Britain can offer something uniquely American that American can offer. This is how we should look at it. So here he is speaking of that first. Therefore, become Indians, recover the patrimony of your forefathers, recover the Aryan thought, the Aryan discipline, the Aryan character, the Aryan life. Recover the Vedanta, the Gita, the Yoga. Recover them not only in intellect or sentiment, but in your lives. So, you know, this uh, nowadays people often discuss, I was floating this idea recently that India is not a secular country, nor a religious country. So he said, what do you mean? I say India is a spiritual country. That's how we should look at it. And Gita should be a national scripture. So people said there will be objection. Let there be objection. There is no. Gita is a scripture which teaches us how to live. And this is native to the Indian soil. It came up before any of these religions had come into existence. Which would today object. It governed the existence of these people right from the time of Arjuna and Parikshit. Right down to Jhasi Kirani. And even today if you go to the Indian borders. Border post if you know. Um, I have been to some of these Indo-China borders and you will see as you climb up this stair, Nathula Pass, you know, you will see at several places. Leh Ladakh also you will see. Sikkim you will see. You will see those lines from the Gita. Uh, somewhere it will be written, Na Jayati Rete Vakadachin. The soul is immortal. And you go through that and you, by the time you reach, you say, give me something. I want to take the challenge of life. Because this is how in India it has grown. Somewhere else it may grow another way. It is the spirit that is infused which makes you one person, warrior, equal to what is called as one lakh. Simply because you are now not just governed by your own physical strength but by your moral and spiritual strength. Recover them not only in intellect or sentiment but in your lives. Live them and you will be great and strong, mighty, invincible and fearless. Neither life nor death will have any terrors for you. Difficulty and impossibility will vanish from your vocabularies. For it is in the spirit that strength is eternal and you must win back the kingdom of yourselves. The inner Swaraj before you can win back your outer empire. So it was Swaraj then Samraj. So it was with this Swaraj, then you became Swarat. And you Samraj was Sam, Samrat. So first it should be, that's why in India Samraj was built, empire was built on the basis of Ashumid Yagna. That was a Yagna. And Yagna meant that whatever I, now whatever kingdom comes with me, I'll share all this equally with everyone for everybody's development. And then finally, there the mother dwells and she waits for worship that she may give strength. Believe in her, serve her, lose your wills in hers, your egoism in the greater ego of the country, your separate selfishness in the service of humanity. Recover the soul, the source of all strength in yourselves and all else will be added to you. Social soundness, intellectual preeminence, political freedom, the mastery of human thought, the hegemony of the world.